sermon series we're following, I Am David, up to this point, we've been looking at David as a model for our own lives. He was a man after God's own heart. The section we're going to put in today has to do with David's heart. You see it portrayed here as being covered with red. And the story of how that heart came to be restored to that color of, again, being after God's own heart. Uh, is a familiar story that maybe we have to see from a little bit different perspective. We've been seeing David as kind of a role model, but as you just listen to that story today, we were introduced to David the monster. And the, the hard part, I think, is for us to realize that what maybe resonates in our own hearts is that we have the potential to be that monster. David was in Jerusalem by choice. The story starts out by saying, in the spring of the year when kings went off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. You see, David was already on a slippery slope towards sin, and that slope would only get steeper. He should not have been in Jerusalem. He should have been out with his troops in battle. He was the king. He was the general. He was the leader. He should have been there. But for whatever reason, he chose not to. The first verse, this verse reminds us how we are most prone to temptation when we are not where we're supposed to be, not doing what we're supposed to do or doing what we're not supposed to do. I'll share with you a little story, one I feel somewhat comfortable in telling, among others that I probably would not feel as comfortable in telling. Um, it was from the summer of my, the year after I graduated in college, and every summer when I was in college, I played baseball and softball with several teams. But that last summer after I graduated from college, I was going to be married at the end of, or the beginning of August, and I was going to leave to go off to the seminary, and I said, well, I told my friends I'm not going to play this year. Well, they twisted my arm for about a tenth of a second and talked me into playing, and we really, really had a good team that year. We we're in two leagues, and we didn't lose any games, and we won a couple small-town tournaments. And the sponsor of that team was an establishment known as Paul's Log Cabin Bar. And if you're familiar with um, teams that are sponsored by uh, establishments, it's expected that if the team sponsors you, you would um, patronize that establishment. So after ball games, we would go and have something to eat and some adult beverage to drink. And my dad asked me, he said, uh, are you going to Paul's Log Cabin Bar after your games? And I said, well, yeah, I am, my team. And he said, he said, you know, that place has a really bad reputation. They've been in trouble with the police a lot for serving underage drinking, and they're known for fights to break out. And I said, oh, Dad, don't worry about it. I'm with my teammates. It's a good place. It's really not a bad place. Well, my dad was right, and I was lucky. You see, the fight that my teammates got into with another team uh, and the arrest that took place happened after I left, after I had gone. I missed it by about two weeks. And I could just look back on it and think I was really lucky because what would I have said to my wife if I would have said, uh, Grace, I might be late for our wedding on Saturday because I won't get out of jail till later in the afternoon that day. <laughs> and I don't think it would have gone over well with the seminary if I said, you know, I'm going to be a little late um, reporting for the beginning of the school year because my probation won't let me leave the state of Wisconsin uh, for a few more weeks. 
my defense was just, right? I would have said, hey, I was innocent. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The fact was, I knew I was not supposed to be in that place. And I knew better than to be there. And I had been told that I knew better than to be there. Well, that's what David was doing. David knew he shouldn't have been in Jerusalem. What are your first steps towards getting lost? Is it being in the wrong part of town? Is it spending more time with the computer than you do with your family? Is it going with that group of gossips instead of walking away from them? I don't know what it is, but I know that there many times there's a particular sin that just seems to call me. And I know about it, and I should stay away from it, but I, I, I go that way nonetheless. So, David should have known better. He was a, a man after God's own heart. He was a king of the people, fighting side by side with them, mourning with them, celebrating with them. And he was first called a, a man after God's own heart because he was a God-like king. So for David, it was more than just not being where he should have been. It really points to a shift in his character. He was going from the hands-on king of the people who was a servant of God to an aloof king who sends people to do his business and does what he wants. So that's the first point on your sermon notes. David changes from a man after God's own heart to following his own sinful heart. So one day David's up on the roof and he looks out and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. We don't know how long he was looking at her, but certainly he was not respecting her privacy. And it's not like she was taking a bath in public. She was up on the roof behind a screen, and she certainly didn't expect anybody to be looking down from the king's house because the king was supposed to be off at war with her husband. So David not only sends people in the battle for him, but he sends one of his servants to check out this woman and finds that it's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You know when you start sliding towards a sin, there are certain places where you could put your foot down and stop, or maybe you could grab onto a handhold and stop your slide toward that sin? You know, sometimes you just say, well, my conscience is telling me I shouldn't do this, and you turn away from it. Well, here's a place where David could have turned away from it for a couple of reasons. One, here's the message. She's married. Number two, she's married to Uriah the Hittite. And it's not like David didn't know who Uriah was. Uriah is described as being one of the David's 30 mighty men. The inner core of his inner core. He probably, we would probably describe him as being one of David's special forces fighters. He had been with David since day one when David was fleeing from Saul. So David knew Uriah and he knew that taking his wife was wrong. But he did it anyway. He called her to the house and they had an affair, and she became pregnant. Now Bathsheba had no choice. You see, when the king called, the king was an ultimate power. She had to do what he said. He had absolute authority. So David has another chance to resolve his sin. When he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, he could have um, dealt with the situation. He could have confessed. He could have... Uh, tried to make it right. He could have repented, but he didn't. He decided to further the cover-up. So he calls Uriah, 
back, he calls Joab his general and says, send Uriah back with a message. And he talks to Uriah and said, okay, Uriah, thanks for the message. I'm giving you a few days leave. Go spend some time with your wife. Figuring this will take care of it. He'll sleep with his wife. The evidence will be covered up and I'll be good as gold. Well, Uriah was a lawyer's loyal soldier. And he said, how can I sleep with my wife when my comrades are in battle? So he stays in the barrack and sleeps with the king's guard. Again, David could have said, okay, this is spinning out of control. I've got to stop this. But he says, no, I'm the king. I can handle this. I can cover it up. So he sends word to Joab, um, send Uriah the Hittite into the hottest part of the battle. And when he's surrounded, have everybody else retreat so that Uriah is killed. And that's exactly what happened. David compounds the sin, and he goes from being an adulterer to being a murderer. Now, after Uriah is dead, he waits for the period of mourning to take place, and now being a gracious king, right, he's going to do the right thing. He's going to take this poor war hero's widow into his harem and make her his wife. Nobody will know. Things are good. David said, that went pretty well after all. But the Bible says the thing was evil in the eyes of the Lord. David had sinned and thought he had managed to build an effective cover-up plan. He only overlooked one small detail. You can't hide your heart from God. David had gone so far from the Lord that he had forgotten who God was. And so God has to come to David and said, David... Just like God coming to Adam and Eve in the garden. So God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David. Nathan tells a story that is a very close parallel to the events of what David had done and covered up so skillfully. It should remind us all that no matter how hard we try, we can't hide from God. We're much better off if we're simply honest with him up front. It's not like he doesn't already know, right? So David, or Nathan comes to David, and David hears this story, and David takes the bait. David still has a moral compass. He still recognizes right from wrong. He still realizes an atrocity and outrage when he sees it. It's just that he can't see it in himself. So Nathan tells the story, and David becomes more and more livid, and he says, that man should die. Again, you have to realize David was the king. He could be the judge. He had just pronounced verdict on whoever this guy was that Nathan was talking about. He said, that man should get the death penalty. And after a pause, Nathan looks at him and said, David, you are that man. Wow. It's important to understand the dynamic of the situation. Nathan was literally risking his life to confront David with this reality. The king was the sole power broker. He could have told any one of his guards, kill that man, he is committing treason. He could have denied that. He could have told Nathan to get out. He could have continued to deny what God had said. The choice was David's. And the choice was, are you going to accept or deny the judgment that you yourself have pronounced on the person who committed this horrible sin? 
David's response was, I have sinned against the Lord, which is the second point in your sermon notes. I have sinned against the Lord. No blame shifting, no excuses, no spin, no double talk, no blaming it on Bathsheba, no talking about how he was just suffering from the stress of his office. David confessed his sin, and in confessing his sin, he accepted the judgment that he had placed upon himself. He expected to die as a result of saying and recognizing that it was his sin. It's when we are truly honest with God that we find his mercy and his grace. Nathan replied to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. This was an important defining moment in David's life. He confessed his sin, and he was prepared to accept his punishment of death. Instead, he received another revelation of the grace of God. David forgave God and allowed him to live. And that's the third point in the sermon notes. By God's grace, David was spared the death sentence. Not because he was so convincing, not because he was so humble, not because he was so sorry. It's only because of the grace of God. For the rest of his days, every day when Nathan woke up and opened his eyes, he knew that he was alive for one reason and one reason only. The sheer grace of God. The fact that God had taken his sin upon himself and had paid the penalty. From that moment forward, David's life and relationship with God deepened. David's life would still be plagued by the consequences of his action. Make no mistake about that. The child that was conceived died. The fact that David had caused strife in a family meant that there was going to be strife in his family for the rest of his days. Last week, Mike Edge referenced Absalom, David's son, who led a rebellion, a civil war against his own father. And in that, he also stole David's wives, just as Nathan had prophesied. So David wasn't spared the consequences of his action, but he was spared the eternal punishment of death for his sins. Understanding God's grace has the same effect upon you and me. Think again of Psalm 51, which we read earlier. It's David's prayer of repentance. It illustrates that repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry and I'll try and do better. But it's a heartfelt plea to God for healing and repentance and restoration. We often think that it's God's judgment that leads to repentance. We know he is angry. We want to get out from underneath that anger. But that's not it. True repentance comes from knowing the goodness of God. It's God's forgiveness that we crave. It's not escaping the punishment. It's receiving the blessing. David understood that while he indeed sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba, his foremost sin was against the Lord. He came to the point where he was being honest with himself. When he saw sin for what it really is, a deadly, horrible disease that can only be cured by God himself. Only the grace of God, only the shed blood of Jesus can purify us and forgive our sins. It's 
the blood of the lamb that changes David's heart white, that paints over the black heart and covers it with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the redeemed action. It's not what David did, it's what God did to him. David asked not only for forgiveness, but for a renewed, reestablished relationship. Point four is that genuine repentance brings forgiveness, restoration, and healing. It's not just getting out from under the blame. It's receiving forgiveness for restoration, for healing. From that point on, David committed himself to serving God and leading other people. It's always that way. Forgiveness and restoration leads to new life. So what lessons can we take away from this familiar story? Number one, it always begins with the grace of God. Romans chapter 5 says, At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Two, God never brings us condemnation without offering us grace and healing. The whole point of Nathan's charge against David wasn't to punish him or to make him feel bad for being just for its own sake. He did it so that David would recognize what he had done, would repent of it, seek forgiveness, and receive forgiveness in order to be restored. Third, repentance is not as much about the sin as it is about restoring the relationship. I don't want you to think that sin is not serious. But sin, it can be covered with the blood of Christ, which leads to the restoration of the relationship, which is what God intends for us in the first place. As we reflect on the story of David, I ask you, what point do you make? What application do you make? Are you ready for a fresh start? Because of God's action for us in Jesus Christ, your life can be healed, restored, and rebuilt just like David's was. I can tell you from my own experience, it's never an easy journey, but it is always the most worthwhile venture of our entire lifetime. You see, we have to learn to be honest with God. We have to stop trying to hide our sin or deny our sin or excuse our sin. We have to deal with it because it's a death it's a death-bringing disease. And unless it's dealt with, it will kill us for all eternity. And the only cure is to have that sin forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, which God freely offers if we only ask. Having been forgiven, having been restored, we come together as his people around word and sacrament to be continually built up to strengthen those defenses, to uh, help us resist the temptation, and to remind us ever and always that we have access to forgiveness when we confess our sins to our Father in heaven. John 3.16 is very familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 goes on to say, For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. You and I recognize the fact that we have to deal with sin. The reality of the story is the only cure is to turn it over to God, to confess it, and to receive forgiveness from him, and then move forward as his redeemed and restored children. And all God's people said,